0: Welcome to MLB Daily, your one-stop shop for daily baseball content. I am LJ LaFuera. Alongside me, I've got Brandon Karam, and we are a Belly Up Sports podcast. We are what they are. Brandon, how you doing?
2: LJ, doing good. Uh, because I wasn't on yesterday's show, I feel like I'm just going to start it off by saying right now, uh, feels good that the Yankees swept the Red Sox. It really does. Uh, The Heen Dog himself, seven innings of one run, two hit ball, shuts down uh, one of the best offenses in the league like it was nothing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Andrew Velasquez, the kid from the Bronx, is the one who comes up big last night. And of course, we're going to get into the Yankees, but they won again tonight as well. So their winning streak continues. LJ, number one in the AL wild card. uh, I believe as of right now, are the Red Sox still at number two or is it Oakland now?
0: I think it might be Oakland.
2: Let's see. As of recording this, which is 1040 on August 19th.
0: It is Oakland by half a game.
2: Okay. The Yankees have won seven in a row. They have won 29 of their last 40 games. Uh, yeah, really, really impressed with this team and with all the reinforcements that they're going to be getting back. Hopefully they can keep it up down the stretch. I mean, yeah, these games are important, but we still got a month and a half uh, left of games. So we know how, how quick it things can change.
0: While I don't think you deserve the right to gloat after missing the episode last night to gloat about the Yankees Red Sox, I do have an interesting thought to pose to you. Do you think that not doing something at the trade or not doing a ton of things at the trade deadline can negatively should technically negatively hurts team morale?
2: Yes, because most of the time, like, and I get where you're coming from, because you're trying to say like, you know, oh, if you make too many trades, then that could disrupt the team chemistry, right?
0: Um. Well, no, actually, I'm referencing the Red Sox, because I've got, I've seen a lot of that momentum and that blame for this stretch, this month, this terrible, terrible, no good, very bad month, that they've had. And a lot of people largely trying to blame it on Haim Bloom for not going out and not making a ton of major moves in roster roster changing trades at this year's deadline, because they're looking at the Yankees who added two huge pieces to their lineup and saying, seeing that they're so hot. I think from my perspective, just a logic standpoint, the positive momentum of doing something has a greater impact than any negative momentum or of not doing as much.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I know the Red Sox didn't do a lot, but you went out and you got the second best bat was, on the market,
0: or the second or third best bat on the market. We'll yeah,
2: there. and at one point he was the best hitter in the league for a whole month. Like for a month stretch, there was no doubt he was the best hitter in the league for that month. Andy went out and got another bullpen arm, which every team could use. And remember, you guys had a bullpen at one point where you there you had five guys who were very very reliable day in and day out. And now all of a sudden, your bullpen blew that one game in the doubleheader to the Yankees. And, I mean, just overall, I don't know what's going on with your offense, but I don't really say you can be mad for not trying to make a lot of moves. Because, look, the Yankees are notorious for not going out and making splashes at the deadline the last few seasons. And to see them kind of go all out this year was a bit different. But in years past, it's always been like, you know, we still ended up making the playoffs. So I don't know how much of a drag on team chemistry it is. Honestly, it, it it's the biggest test for it. it's it. Not, not the, it's not the biggest, but it's a big test for teams, you know, to, to kind of get over that hump, to, you know, see other teams are getting all these reinforcements. Like, how do you think, the Red Sox or the Rays players feel when they're sitting in the clubhouse and they see, oh, the Yankees just traded for Joey Gallo. Oh, the Yankees just traded for Anthony Rizzo. Or how did the Red Sox and Yankees feel when they see the Rays traded for for Nelson Cruz? So,
0: Well, I don't think they felt good. But at the same right. time, I don't think those types of things affect the group chemistry. I don't think those things legitimately affect the team internally. Frankly, from my logic, when I look at this completely from an unbiased perspective, I would have to think that if a team were to be having negative momentum because of not having pieces added to the team, then obviously that team was doomed to fail from the beginning. Because as a whole, if you're saying we need other pieces that aren't in this clubhouse in order to be able to be successful and to win, then you obviously do not trust yourself. You do not actually believe that you can win, and so this is inevitable. Whether they had or had or had, like plenty of teams are, or most most teams are confident enough in their ability, especially if put in the position that the Sox were in at the deadline. Just about every good good team is confident in their ability and aren't going out and saying. We need reinforcements. No one, no, no team should think that they need reinforcements because that means they don't trust themselves. However, on the flip side, you make you make do with what you've got. So if the team does trade for somebody, that's great. It's an added bat, it's another positive. So I I think the trade deadline from a team perspective is largely win-win because of the simple fact that you know most teams should be happy with keeping the group that they've got there, especially put in that position. So this whole this whole idea that they, A, should have done more because there was no other logical move for them to make, and, two, that the fact that they didn't do more than already have a good trade deadline negatively impacted the team. The difference is everyone just wants – they just want to have the – Feel good momentum, this happy ride that the Yankees are having right now, which largely did come from the excitement of bringing a Joey Gallo and an Anthony Rizzo into the lineup. So it's a lot of grasses. The grass is greener on the other side of the fence. They'd be pissing and moaning if it was anything else. And I, I don't, I don't see how a deadline move or more deadline moves would have necessarily helped this team out of this rut because not only is this a completely inexplicable and shocking cold stretch, but the seeds of this were being planted at the beginning of July. The fire had started long before the trade deadline, so I'm not sure even if you had done more at the deadline, it really would have helped.
2: Yeah. uh, Also, you know, I was thinking, if you're like Aaron Judge, right, and you see Oh, we had to trade away our number 6 and number 8 prospects to get Anthony Rizzo? No, he's not thinking like that. He's like, "Holy crap, we just traded for Anthony Rizzo." Like the at that point, the players aren't thinking about the future return on that trade yeah, whatsoever. They don't care They're,
0: about the future return.
2: Right. No, they care about right now because they they want to win. Every every player wants to win more than people understand.
0: You don't get to that level if you don't.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to be an extremely competitive person. That, that's what makes athletes, like, get to that elite level, in my opinion, is you have to have just that competitive edge. You have to always be giving your 120%. And
0: I think, you know, with the exception of maybe basketball, another key to being able to get to that level is an actual love for the game. I mean, there there have been flat-out basketball players who have said that they're really, largely just there for the money. That's how they've been playing, Ooh. but because overall, I think it's the if you're athletically gifted, it's the easiest path to a professional league, and it's the easiest path to success because there's less hoops you have to jump through for most of for most. I of would say
2: the NBA is the hardest like pro league to to be in there's only 12 roster spots and there's 30 teams
0: yeah but let's say you're all right let's say you are the top athlete in your grade level so at at 18 years old you are the best athlete now let's put this this top athlete into a bunch of different sports and see what happens let's if you go into basketball Depending on the era, you can either jump straight to the NBA and given the athleticism and overall talent that we're assuming to this player, he can jump right into a first round pick and getting playing time on, in the NBA. In the NFL, you have to go three to four years of college and then work, work and prove yourself into the roster, not, not to mention how incredibly grueling those seasons are so I would say that the overall toll the challenge the amount of hoops and extra time that you have to get through to get to this top level is greater in football than basketball and then soccer less than baseball but let's go into baseball you're an 18 year old you're the best best most talented player in the world at minimum you're probably going to have to do another year and a half to two years in the minor leagues before you even sniff a major league roster so there are a lot more a lot more steps before you can get to the highest level, and that just makes it all the more grueling, all the more taxing, all the harder for you to mentally justify being there just for the money. So that's why I'm firm in the fact that M- the MLB Baseball has more players that genuinely love the game than any other professional sport.
2: Yeah, I certainly – I think, though, that there is guys and I've heard from a few different people that Anthony Rendon is a guy who just just not really a fan of the of the game, like not really interested in baseball. He approaches it like like a job, like it's like that's his job, which I mean, look, he's he's a great teammate from everything I, I hear, and I'm sure he's a great guy to be around, but that's just, that's just how he approaches it. Another guy, Tim Anderson is flat out come out. He's flat out said, you know, baseball's boring. Like I, when I'm at home, if you think I'm turning on baseball on my TV, like you're, you're crazy. I, I'm not putting that on my TV. Like, so you do have guys like that as well.
0: Yes. But, Again, I I feel like they are more the exception than the
2: rule. Right. No, no. No. Absolutely. Absolutely, the exception. But it's interesting that there's still guys that can get to that to that level of play and just still not not yeah. play.
0: Um. But where were we from that backtracking? Um, that was a long tangent.
2: Yeah. No. I, I think that was just our. I was just yeah. kind of like part of our first segment.
0: <laughs> Either way, yeah. You want to be competitive. You want to love the game at this level and that's going to make you care about this team right now really really the team to wrap it around the team that's in front of you you want to win right now and in most instances most respects it's a okay we're here let's do this thing that's how team chemistry builds team chemistry doesn't build because you're think you're hearing these trade rumors about guys that are coming over and you can't wait to play with them because that's going to make everything better. That's it's an incredibly counterintuitive way of thinking for a, from a team standpoint. So, no, to answer everybody's questions, who's blaming Bloom for this downfall? That it's wholeheartedly not the case.
2: Right. LJ, yes, the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, I'm not sure how much you talked about it last night but they have lost their 14th game in a row after last night that's their second time this year that they've lost 14 in a row and today they drop a game to Tampa and have now dropped 15 in a row they claim the worst record in the league at 38 and 82 uh LJ you know I was thinking about it (laughs) Hear me out now. I have no idea about the draft class for next year, right? Yeah. Baltimore Orioles number one overall pick, Kumar Rocker.
0: Yes, sir. You know they wanted him the first time. It wasn't. It wasn't working out. What do they do? They pull back and they wait for him again.
2: I mean, I w- I was talking about this with someone today between the teams right now that are in a race for that, for that number one draft pick, which is Pittsburgh, Arizona, Baltimore, and Texas, right? It's going to be one of those four teams out of those four, the team that like the number one pick would help the most is probably Baltimore, right? Because at least they have other top prospects that they're building around Arizona you you know, I, I don't know where, where they're at Pittsburgh, their, their ownership has just been notoriously bad and doesn't want to invest any money there in the Rangers. I mean, like, all right. Yeah. You got Jack lighter, but that's like your one piece, at least the Orioles they have Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, DL hall, other good fringe or top 100 prospects in there. So I think it'd be cool if they get, if they end up getting the number one pick and hopefully that this works out for them with all these uh, top picks.
0: Look, while I hope desperately that things work out for the Texas Rangers, I think you're right in the fact that the Baltimore Orioles are most deserving of that pick. First off, if the whoever they end up taking there, I'm not sure who's projected into that number one slot right now for this year's draft. Um, I'll
2: check. Check a mock draft.
0: So either way, that guy is going to be put in a perfect position coming into this because it is always better to be the last player of the core to come up and be a superstar than to be a, the first player of the young core to come up and be a superstar and it's really a matter of how are you going to have more fun how are you going to have a, have better success and a better brand is it going to be going to a team that is fighting to be the last place team and get the first pick in the draft each year for the first couple of years until things turn around or walking into a team that's right about to turn things around and compete early on in your career it's always better to have, of course, the ground broken for you before you step in, and then you can really take off and soar. So not only is that first pick being put in a prime position, but out of that group, I would say Arizona and although no Texas, Texas will spend, mainly Pittsburgh, again, the fact that they really have not spent past the years of team control in recent memory – that really would irritate me and that would make make me feel like it would be a waste having them get the top overall talent in that year's draft. Meanwhile, the Baltimore Orioles, before they of course had to go into their rebuild, they very much did show that they were willing to spend money. They were willing to invest in the team's success. That's why unfortunately you end up with some bad contracts like Chris Davis and stuff such like that but at the same time they genuinely do care about fan happiness they care about the team being a winner when they see an opportunity the fact of the matter is there was no opportunity there was no fixing that roster to be a competitor so they had to start this process but once they get out of this process I would have a hard time believing that they're necessarily going to be cheaping out in every step they get so, overall, it would absolutely be the best place for him to be, whoever it is, especially seeing he's going to be on the East Coast, which is what the league desperately needs.
2: Yeah, as of right now, the so the MLB.com mock draft, which was done July 20th, the, the Orioles had the projected number two pick at that point, had them taking Dylan Lesko. Right-handed pitcher from Buford High School in Georgia. Uh, he throws ninety-six miles an hour. He has a change-up as his second pitch and other breaking pitches. Uh, he, if he chooses to go to school, he'll be at Vanderbilt. So yeah, I've,
0: I've done some looking into him. I do. I
2: do. And then that. the other guy is Elijah Green, who is the projected number one overall pick. He was an outfielder. Uh he's a Miami recruit. A lot of people think that he's kind of a slam dunk prospect and have him penciled in as the one the overall number one pick, uh no, no matter the team. But uh look, I, I think that the Orioles are in a spot where they can kind of go with whatever. Like if they they've it would be nice to see them get the first pick and then take that that outfielder there Elijah green right out of high school or if they can find it in a nice arm that they like if they want to stay under slot value or whatever uh yeah it, there's certainly a lot uh more topics third st- uh, stuff we can discuss regarding that in the future absolutely all right well next up we are going to talk about Jacob de Gram potentially being shut down for the season. Uh, he remember
0: and then just, there's a drive to deep left field by Castellanos. It'll be a home run, and this will be a four nothing ball game.
2: Oh, we yeah, let's let's go back to that segment. Oops. Uh, yeah, it is Nick Castellanos Day. Happy. Nick Castellanos day a year ago today. Was it a year ago? Right? It was
0: well more than a year ago.
2: It wasn't during the pandemic. Yeah, it was during the pandemic season. No. Yep. Wasn't there no fans there? No, no,
0: no, no, no,
2: no. Or was that 2019?
0: It had to have been at least 2019.
2: Um, no, I th- I think it was 2020, LJ. It feels it was, like
0: he was a very, very much it was long, 2020. Time.
2: I just pulled up the clip on my phone. There's no fans there, it's the cardboard cutouts. Oh, but See, that's when Tom to have- Brenneman.
0: Tricky
2: for those who are unsure what we're talking about, Tom Brenneman, the Cincinnati Reds broadcaster when they were off the air but his mic was still on he made a comment uh a very insensitive comment regarding uh homosexual people and then while apologizing on air during the middle of an at-bat nick castellanos (laughs) hit a home run uh during the the middle of his apology and i'm going to read off uh, his apology this is what he said on the air <clears throat> I made a comment earlier tonight that I guess went out over the air that I am deeply ashamed of if I've hurt anyone out there I can't tell you how much I say from the very bottom of my heart I'm so very very sorry I pride myself and think of myself as a man of faith there's a deep driving in deep left field by Castellanos and that will be a home run and so that'll make it a four-nothing ball game. I don't know if I'm gonna be putting on this headset again. I don't know if it's gonna be for Fox or for the Reds. And I just want to deeply apologize to my box to my bosses at Fox.
0: You know, it's amazing. I feel bad for him in this regard. No one's ever going to forget this incident. A lot of worse incidents have been completely forgotten about, but because of Nick Castellanos, it will always be remembered. And it's going to be remembered as a part of a series of unfortunate events throughout his career. First off, Brandon, I'm not sure if you've seen this, but I'd heard it somewhere that they looked back and either Nick Castellanos' first game, the day of his first game played, or the day of his first home run was the day that Bin Laden died.
2: (laughs) I mean, well, let's not forget also this year during the middle of a broadcast, uh, they were doing a eulogy for someone on the broadcast and he was hitting and he hit a home run And then the other night on someone's Twitter feed after Chris Bassett got hit with the line drive uh, in the face, in back-to-back tweets on someone's uh, feed, it was the, the picture of Chris Bassett getting struck with the ball and then a home run Twitter account that just posts every single home run hit, and it happened to be Nick Castellanos. So, LJ, I mean, every time he hits a home run, we have to assume that something bad is happening, is about, like, is about to happen, uh, already happened.
0: You know, it's just it's a it's a series of unfortunately poor timing, and again. You know, some of it's just going to be myth. You'll be remembered as myth. Some of it will be remembered.
2: simpler communications
0: fondly but i don't think it'll, his luck will ever be forgotten i think it's, this legend is only going to continue to grow as long as he's in the league
2: yeah uh well our next topic is jacob de Gram, as i kind of spoiled that a few minutes ago but Remember a couple of weeks ago, the Mets or actually, no, just a few days ago or about a week ago now. Yeah. The Mets said that uh, he won't resume throwing for two more, at least two more weeks. Now there is a uh, potential that he is shut down for the season. Uh, LJ is, is the only injury that he has just this inflammation in, in his forearm.
0: Probably not. Is that, is, that, is that safe for me to say on here without losing all credibility? We are not a speculation podcast. However, I think we need to be real about the fact that there's a lot of posturing that goes on with particularly pitcher injuries in this league from time to time. And there's also a lot of posturing in every regard when you're in the middle of a playoff race because you don't want to give anybody any momentum. We've also seen a guy, a lot of guys play through or try to play through some pretty serious stuff or potentially serious stuff and just delay the inevitable shutdown or the inevitable surgery as long as humanly possible. So would I be shocked if there's something else going on there? No, I wouldn't.
2: Yeah, no, I wouldn't be shocked either. I mean, the the Yankees are notorious for not disclosing setbacks and other stuff like that where they just kind of leave you hanging and it's like oh wait for somebody to ask yeah like basically it's like oh like what's going on with him oh yeah he's gonna be out a couple more weeks yeah (laughs) you know just how it goes uh
0: And then again... um, A
2: huge loss for the Mets. I mean, talk about the Mets. We should spend a minute on them. They're in... This this is not good, LJ. They're four and a half games out.
0: We already pronounced them dead like two weeks ago, Brandon. Yeah, but... (laughs) The
2: news. The Braves have won nine of their last ten and six in a row after winning... And losing one game in a row for 18 games in a row where they couldn't win or lose more than two in a row. or It's insane to me. You
0: know, I can't be mad. I physically cannot be mad, especially seeing this was the team I was really high on going into the year. But
2: it's just they don't have their best player.
0: I'm shocked. It's not that they just don't have their best player. They have managed to lose at least half of the players that you thought were going to be huge pieces for them making a title, a division title run, or possibly a World Series title run. I mean, realistically, we we have to admit the the Mets, the Braves, and a little bit the Phillies were all kind pretty much in the mix with Padres and Dodgers for that NL pennant. T- t- I mean that that was the way things were looked at. But when you looked at it, you thought of Ronald Cunha, you thought of Marcelo Zuna, you thought of Ian Anderson, you thought of Mike Soroka. None of those guys have played much this year. So on a very real note here, this is a very different looking team, even if the vast majority of the core is still there. The, the, the feel of this team feels completely different because their principal powerhouses of their team aren't there right now, a lot, a lot of them. So again, I, I don't think people would be nearly as surprised if some of those guys were healthy. If you, you looked at this team and you had Acuna, you had Azuna, you had Anderson and Soroka in the rotation right now, no one would be that shocked that they were in the first place of the division, but to have all of those impact guys not only not be there, but pretty much seemingly be like they're not going to be a real factor at all this year is, is jarring, especially when we've seen how good the Phillies are, are and can be.
2: LJ, how about our guy, Huascar Inoa He's back and had a really, yeah, really know. good start the other day. I'm not sure if you saw what he did.
0: I did not see what he did, but I was just going in to check and see what was going on with his numbers, and it seems to be same old, same old for this guy. Uh, Absolutely been a fantastic first year for him. Of course, if he could have stayed healthy,
2: if If, he stayed healthy – If he didn't punch the bench, then – If he hadn't
0: punched the bench, hear me out. Are we talking – are we talking a potential MV, uh, rookie of the year race between two cy young contenders in the same division
2: oh i mean he would be he would have been an outside cy young contender
0: so is rogers
2: oh yeah no absolutely they're both they're both outside they both so rookie him.
0: rookie of the year starting pitcher race in the same dimension. I mean
2: the kid's only 23 and he's got I mean just watching him pitch he's he's pitching tomorrow LJ against uh, or actually today when everyone's listening to this he's pitching against the Orioles uh I'm gonna try to watch him in the start he's a he's a fun guy to watch he was on the Sunday night baseball earlier this year I remember back when I was at, at, at college uh but Yeah, his start the other night, he ended up going, here, I'll pull it up, five and a third, three hits, no earned runs, four strikeouts, one walk. Soft contact. There you go.
0: Speaking of great starts today, Madison Bumgarner went eight innings, allowing three hits and one earned run, which means I am legally required to ask this question. Is Mad Bum back?
1: (laughs)
2: Are the Diamondbacks back? I mean, they just beat Zach Wheeler up. They scored six runs off of Zach Wheeler. And they have won three games in a row. LJ, they've won six of their last 10, which I don't think they've done at any point this year.
0: No, you're right. Um, Yeah, Zach Wheeler is just as big a story as me joking around about Madison Bumgarner because this is a huge, huge, huge shakeup in the NL Cy Young conversation as he certainly takes a backseat to a number of guys with this start.
2: Yeah, you know, and the thing is, those other guys could very easy within three days also take a step back as well. And that's that's a great thing.
0: You know, but the thing is, I don't know. Maybe you can change my mind on this right now, but it feels like, despite there are some there being some statistics that will absolutely adore Zach Wheeler right now, and they're they're completely v- valid. But there's also a lot of them in which he's paling in comparison to other big names within this group. So I have to wonder if those are still going to be enough to outweigh the others with this type of start. Like, I mean, he certainly hasn't been the ERA champion this year in the national league. He hasn't really ever been close, but he does so much. He he puts in such an innings load and puts in such good value in those innings that you get things like the increased war where he's been from the majority of the year, when DeGrom hasn't been healthy above and beyond leading the league in war among pitchers.
2: So well, you you, see, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that you went right to that point. So baseball reference, right. Which doesn't do their calculations till after all the games are over right now for war for pitchers has Zach Wheeler at 5.9. Okay, so we're assuming that that's going to go down after his start today. Yeah. Wade Miley is at 5.7, meaning tomorrow when we wake up, Wade Miley could be number one in war for pitchers based on baseball reference war. I mean, talk about an outside contender for the Cy Young. If voters are looking at something like that, I mean I don't know how you could, how you could even say very outside if if the guy has the most war in the league at his position and then there's an award for the best player at his individual position uh, I don't know how he can be an outside contender just historically speaking okay. when when you so, look at the voting when you when when, when you compare the voting even back in the 30s and 40s
0: okay but you are agreeing that war shouldn't be the end all be all for these
2: awards. Absolutely not. Okay. Correct.
0: So, so anyway, to continue my point here, looking at just the numbers before today's start, we've got Zach Wheeler here leading the league in war and leading the league in war for a very long time. And then you move over to ERA. He's currently he was currently sitting at sixth with a two-five six. ERA, I don't remember it ever being lower than that first off this year. It's always been hovering in the high twos. So you're looking at the sixth best pitcher in terms of ERA this season. And a lot of those innings were very quiet. I could probably find other, um, I could certainly find other stats, I'm sure, if I took a little more time that further illustrate this point. But if we just went with ERA here, the fact that he's putting so much value in terms of war makes it very easy to overlook the guys like Walker Bueller and Corbin Burns who've had much better years in terms of their earned run average. However, when you have a blow-up start like that, you clearly come back into the field when it comes to your wins above replacement. Then... I don't think that you can use the war to significantly outweigh the ERA as much as we have been in the past with this guy.
2: If I had a Cy Young vote right now, it's going to Corbin Burns. Uh, Best ERA plus, best FIP. I mean, just look at his strikeout to walk ratio. In a game that is so come down to three true outcomes – don't you want the guy that is the best at preventing the ones that are good for all offenses? I mean, he's striking guys out at a higher rate than anyone in the league, and he's walking guys at a rate less than anyone in the league. It's oh, and also he allows the least amount of home runs in the league, so literally, he has the three true outcomes covered. <laughs> He's the Cy Young. It's 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 not even close. 175 Ks. He's going to end up over 200 Ks on the year. That makes that absolutely puts the stamp in there for me. Uh, yeah. Um, well, Give this Bryn, man the Cy Thank young.
0: you. Thank thank you for finally fully hopping on board. We are glad to have you on the Corbin Burns bandwagon.
2: Now Just for you, now. If, now if you're there's a blow up start. If there's a blow-up start, it could be I could I could be right off.
0: Join us. Join us. Um but yeah, I mean to further illustrate this point, I was running through the per nines while he was mentioning that wheeler before the before tonight's start, ninth in hits per nine, third in walks per nine, but tenth in strikeouts per nine. So in all of the in both of the stats that really show a pitcher's dominance and their ability to just completely immobilize an offense, he doesn't rank that well. Not nearly that well, frankly. When you start looking into some of these numbers, you start to actually have to question a little bit where the WAR value is necessarily coming from. Because while he's been good, he hasn't been great in so many other stats. So, again, I just. I think it was a very tight call to call him that you were overlooking a lot to call him the Cy Young yesterday. And I, I would love to hear somebody give me a case for him to be the Cy Young right now.
2: I agree. No, I agree. All right. Uh, this next story involves the biggest roller coaster in the MLB. That is The Yerman Mercedes saga. LJ, apparently, and I haven't seen anything about this. You just put it in here. He wants to take his career overseas.
0: You see, that's the thing we don't know. The cryptic life of Yerman Mercedes is mostly about media, social media attention, including a couple of days ago, deciding randomly, just randomly to post on his story the emoji of the Japanese flag. Okay. So, I mean, I'd heard, I'd seen multiple articles of people thinking that he, that was hinting that he was strongly considering trying to make a move to Japan after this season's over. Now, is it likely? No. First off, this guy is a whole lot of talk and not a lot of walk. That's overall what he's proven this entire year, particularly when he retires and then shows up in uniform the next morning, uh, the other thing that is certainly something to keep in mind, the more after this whole fake retirement thing happened, you're hearing a lot more about the strong supporters and believers in Yerman Mercedes in that organization. one one that was shockingly so was Tony LaRusa. I mean, after everything that happened there, maybe he does have a shred of guilt or something, but he was very uh, outspoken about wanting him to remain in the organization, even called him personally that that next morning to ensure he stayed within the organization. So there are, there are a lot of people in the upper ranks of this or, White Sox organization that want him to stay around. I think they'll be able to give him the... I don't know peace of mind that he deserves, but look at this point. Somebody's got to take this this Instagram account away from him. It's getting out of hand. Take social media away from your Mercedes.
2: No, look. So I just find it funny that Tony Larusa is the first guy to reach out to him. Like, like, of course he is. Like, hopefully, he actually feels bad and realizes. That he, he he made a mistake. Like I'm, I'm gonna assume that that's what it was. I'm gonna give Tony the benefit of the doubt here. But well, what
0: other good reason would he have to do that? It's not like this is a top prospect that's threatening to retire.
2: Well, he did call him a boneheaded rookie in front of millions of people who would later see that. So
0: it was a yeah. different time when he started coaching. You had to get up and to change the channel on the TV. You had to do a lot of things, and including that wasn't necessarily these pleasantries. Also, I don't think boneheaded rookie. If that's the lot, the that's not really the no, best, no. That was the one. way he said. Boneheaded that. rookie is.
2: He said only a boneheaded rookie would do something like that, and that's hit a home run. It's still not apparently. that bad. So apparently, but, only only boneheaded rookies hit home runs now. So it's good to so know.
0: Par- Apparently, Xander Bogarts is a boneheaded rookie, or maybe that's only Grand Slams, three zero. Well, so Xander did did hit that free run dinger over the uh, off the pitcher a couple of weeks ago.
2: As for your Yerm, your mean Yerman, the Yerminator, I mean, I mean, best of luck to this dude. Hopefully, if he does end up going overseas, that he's kind of a guy that we forget about you know they they take away his Instagram and then in like two years he comes back and is just ready to tear it up again I mean that would be that would be cool
0: look just take away his social media and just let him bounce back and forth for the next year or so between the White Sox and Triple A He's certainly he hasn't certainly, played a
2: Triple A game since the end of June, so he hasn't been doing. He, he hasn't played a, a, a minor league game since June. Actually, hold on, I was looking at the wrong thing. Maybe uh,
0: he's okay. he's plenty good enough to stay in major league, the major league affiliation system right now. He doesn't. I don't think it's necessary. If he's going to make his MLB career, it's going to be in the next two years so just stop stop with the stop the drunk instagram or whatever it is and oh okay just plug along i mean this feels like it feels like we're calling for it feels like we're this kid's this 14 year old's parents and we're trying to decide whether or not to take his phone away because he's been texting his friends too much
2: lj i think this will make it better So I was looking at the wrong uh, game logs. He has played uh, quite, he pretty much starts every day for the triple A team. They played, uh, he played on August 15th. He went five for six and hit two home runs. August 18th, he played in game one of a doubleheader. He went one for four. Uh, August 18th, game two of the doubleheader, he was the catcher, went uh, two for four, with an uh, with with a walk. I mean, he's hitting good. So
0: he is, and you know, I'm not surprised by that. The only thing that would be keeping him from that roster right now is overall his position. I mean, again, really, there's just you look at that roster, even on the on the offensive side, as much as the pitching, it is very very deep, and then bringing the two outfielders in as well you have even tougher decisions to make in terms of who's able to make it onto this roster full time. I just, I think they they're probably making the correct choice in holding off on him for a little while.
2: Oh, LJ, I forgot to mention this to you the other day. Uh, So George Springer won AL player of the week, two weeks in a row. I'm not sure if you saw that. Uh, August 1st so the week that ends on August 1st he won it for that week and then the week that ends on August 8th he won it for that week also David Fletcher got it for the American League yes I did see that back in July but it was for be- Hernandez this week who ended up who ended up getting it With Tyler be- Gilbert that, I don't
0: mean. think we gave it to George Springer either week did we
2: we didn't we didn't give it to George Springer. We didn't give it to C.J. Crone, who ended up getting it for the National League uh, the second week that Springer got it. And uh, we didn't give it to Teoscar Hernandez this week either. Who?
0: No, and that's overall, again, the str- either the strength of – yeah, it's the strength of the National League. Overall, you're seeing – Also, see- the
2: day that we pick it from is not the same seven days.
0: Yeah, that too. But overall, I mean, I think there's it's pretty clearly been a much stronger year across the board in the National League than the American.
2: I would argue that the best week in terms of star players for the player of the week was the week that between May 30th and June 6th, is the two players that got it that week were Patrick Wisdom and Ryan Mountcastle. Feel like we should give us ourselves a round of applause for. Voting those two players as player of the week in the same week. It seems like I find another weird one quick. What do you think? 2020, was there a weird one? Oh, there was. Well, There's
0: got to be t- 2020 weird Oh, right? yeah.
2: How so about a little. The
0: first week of the year. That's the one you're going to get a lot of weird stuff.
2: Well, I can tell you in 2020, September, the week that ends September 13th, Alec Mills and Jimer Candelario. <laughs> got it. Yeah, the start of 2019 was a little strange. Uh, Jake Oderizzi, Rizzi. <laughs> you know, I'm looking for like a for an outcast here. Evan Gaddis got it one week there back in 2018. I'm trying to see if I can find anyone who's just like way, way, not, not at all irrelevant.
0: Did Gary Ch- Gary Sanchez know he only went back-to-back?
2: Well, J.D. Martinez has won it quite a few times. Can I say, Brandon, he's good. He's good at baseball. Bartolo Colon, the week ending September 6th, 2015. And Logan Forsyth got it for the American League. <laughs> I like that. Oh, for uh, sure. Absolutely.
0: Well, I believe that should be all for tonight. Again, I'm gonna throw a little plug in here for our best of MLB daily show on exclusively on Unhinged Radio. You can check us out. I'm not sure uh Brandon can explain it while I try to figure out when our next pre-air be. We're usually on about once a day all week and it'll be yeah Brandon go ahead sorry
2: yeah no we uh should be on it's a, it's an hour-long show and it's just the best of our content for a week so if you don't want to listen to our show every every day and you just want an hour of our best of the best stories the best bits from our show uh check it out on hinge radio it, it plays once a day usually uh Around the nighttime, but I believe we go live tomorrow, Tuesdays. Yep,
0: we we go live Mondays at five p.m.
2: You okay?
1: Tomorrow,
0: tomorrow we will be on at five a.m. as a re-air. So if you are up and looking for a little entertainment, go check out Best of MLB Daily Week One. That will include many things, including my case for. Corbin Burns as Cy Young. Um what did we, else did we talk about? Dinger. We talked about Barstool Sports and the MLB. Lots of fun stuff in there including our player of the week picks from last week. So go ahead check it out, have a fun time.
2: Yeah, absolutely and uh be sure to follow our Instagram, our Twitter, our TikTok. Those are all at MLB Daily Pod and play our trivia game on our Twitter, but uh yeah, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.
0: I don't know if I'm ever going to put this headset on again. <laughs> see you manana.
2: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
0: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.